Hey guys, it's Ash here. Happy holidays. We're so grateful for you giving us a chance to bring you fun and educational content, and we wanted to show our appreciation by releasing an episode today with Dr. Don Graham. Dr. Don Graham is the Director of Career Management at the Wharton School of Business, the number one business school in the world. She's a career switch expert, LinkedIn learning instructor, and the author of the book Switchers, a book designed for people who are looking to make a switch in their career. You want to be sure to stick around for the whole episode today to listen to all of Dr. Don's advice, parts of her own career journey, and you'll realize what you finally need to do to take full control over your career. So I guess to start off, when you look back on your career, right, you've done a lot academically and you've done a lot in the corporate world. What were the bases of your career decisions? Like when you made a career move, right, like you decided to move from one company to the next or you decided to do one thing and the other. In general, what were the bases of those decisions? Can you just take us through your process? I think like most people, there's a concept in career management called happenstance. And I think a lot of people their career emerges in that respect. They're recruited to a different firm or they get laid off and they have to make a pivot or the market changes. And I think we all do a great job at the end of the day, putting together a resume and a LinkedIn that looks like it's completely linear and everything was decided and planned. But in reality, it's a series of career detours that maybe we didn't expect. So yeah, so I think everybody has a series of detours. And my first one was obviously when I got laid off. I didn't expect that. I thought I'd be with the company for a long time. I was doing well. I was in the middle of moving into a, a new role that I had wanted. And you know, then you had to step back and reevaluate. And that's when I got on the trajectory to where I am today. So it was turned out to be one of the best things that happened to me at the time. Of course, it didn't feel like it. But, you know, then I got into outplacement because that was a really popular field at the time. From there, went back to school and decided I was going to get my doctorate to become a licensed psychologist. And I explored a lot of different things. I thought, should I do organizational psychology? Should I do research? And, you know, I picked this path because I recognized the value of human interaction in every business process and especially the hiring process. So I did that and the series of experiences that are somewhat built into that and obviously moving to a new place, meeting new people. And, you know, I decided very quickly into the program what I wanted to do with that degree. I wanted to work at an assessment firm. It's a kind of a niche industry. So I made a list of all those companies and started networking about a year before I was done. Talked to people, found a job at the place I wanted to be. And I was there for a number of years. And again, the company shifts and changes. They were purchased by a bigger company, creates more opportunities. And the reason I moved back to Philadelphia and joined the Wharton School was because my father was very ill and I was living in Minnesota at the time. So I decided to move back to the East Coast, which again, created another opportunity for change. So I think when most people reflect on their careers, there's a number of things happening behind the scenes, whether it's family or economy or, you know, personal shifts or illness or things like that, having a family that really dictate a lot of that path. And then we do a good job of weaving it together into a resume and a tell me about yourself answer. So it sounds a lot more linear and planned than it might have been. When you were in your mid-20s, was there a common negative feeling, you know, like, for example, a certain insecurity you had 
or a common like roadblock you would always face? And then what did you do to overcome that? I think one of the common themes I've recognized about myself goes back to that comment that I'm not good enough. And there's a lot of things that kind of build into that, you know, perhaps getting laid off early in my career contributed to that, that it's not enough. Like I I need to do more. I need to be more prepared for these types of things. And so I think that was a big part of the drive that pushed me to get my master's degree, get a PhD. I think there's obviously a lot of curiosity in me as well. So I love to learn. I love to try new things. And I think that was a driver too. But I also felt like getting laid off early in your career creates a perhaps need to some ways overcompensate, to do more, to have more on your resume, even though I know that networking, branding, and other things are equally as important. That was something that you can control, right? It feels a little bit harder to control a brand or a network because they feel a little bit more ambiguous, but you can control getting a degree or a certification or doing a certain task. Now, I've done a lot of really cool things because of that, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But I also would say to anybody that you also sacrifice a lot of things to make time for achieving those things. So you need to understand what's important to you. You need to understand why you're doing it. And at the end of the day, you need to feel good about those decisions that you're doing it for you and not for some external validation or for someone else. I think one of the challenges too, and this again is newer and I didn't grow up with this, but I think a lot of people now are growing up with social media and comparing yourself to others is so much easier now than it used to be. And obviously we know it's on social media is only maybe a portion of the truth and everything's through filters. And obviously you pick and choose what you want to show people. So I really feel like that comparison is one of the things that is really detrimental to all of our mental health, because you're always going to find somebody who's done more or who is making more money or whatever achievement here. And, you know, back when I was growing up, that wasn't as accessible, that information. And I think that was a blessing in a lot of ways because Mm -hmm. you had your immediate, you know, circles around you. So you can maybe do some comparing, but it was not at all like it is today. You know, how many likes did you get? Or you have 10,000 followers and you only have 5,000, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit overwhelming, I imagine. Obviously, you, you've you studied networking on a very deep level, and it's sort of like the gym. Like, okay, we know it's effective, but we just have to go do it. How do you define networking? Like, what does networking even mean to you? Like, how do you define it? Yeah, I think I define it as um, kind of having two components. The first one's building relationships. And what I mean about relationships is that someone who trusts you enough to spend their social capital on you and someone you trust enough to spend yours on them. And I think the other piece is them knowing what your value to the market is and you knowing their value to the market. So it's more than just a glance at somebody's LinkedIn profile and sending a message I'd like to connect. It's definitely about would this person be willing to introduce me to somebody in their network and do they know how to introduce me with the value I bring to the market so that Mm. the third person knows what I'm all about. So I do think it's a little bit deeper than most people realize in terms of what is a true network, but obviously there are stages of that and you can have a great network where that's still evolving. If you look at it as transactional, that I'm in a job search today, 
or I need a new client today and this person can help me get there. That certainly is, is interacting, but I don't know that it's the networking that I talk about when I speak about networking. But if you see it as something that evolves into a longer term relationship, and that doesn't mean you have to talk every day. That doesn't mean that you have to, you know, see one another all the time. It it could be that you have dormant connections to people you knew earlier in life who, if you pick up the phone, it's going to be like you never had any time in between. You know, it's Mm -hmm. certainly a, a trust and a mutually beneficial situation. So If you're going into it with an, I need something. And so I'm going to reach out to people, which is what a lot of people do. They tie it to a particular need, like finding a job, then you're going to tend to be less successful than if you look at it like exercise or managing your health, where you're continuously building that network up. So when you do need it, it's there for you. Or when they need it, you're there for them. That makes a lot of sense. So let's say that you're new in your career, say you're in your mid-20s, you have this person who you kind of look up to, you kind of see him as a mentor, but they might be kind of hard to get a hold of, right? How would you go about approaching them and how would you go about like wooing them, if you will? Yeah, I mean, obviously it depends how accessible this person is to you. Is it an executive in your current company or is it an influencer on Instagram, right? But essentially, I think one of the things that is universal is if you want to connect with somebody and you want them to give you time, whether it's a 15-minute phone call or a recommendation or, or whatever that is, you have to invest in them first. And social media, internet makes it really easy to invest in people. You can follow them. You can comment on their work. You can share their work. You can buy their book. You can take their course. You can help advertise their events that are coming up. You can show up to their events. So I think there's a lot that people can do. And if there's somebody who's particularly high up that you're trying to build a relationship with, I think it's important to spend several months investing in them first. Read an article they were quoted in have a length of time where you've committed to learning from them from what they put out there in the world versus just showing up and not having done that work. Because quite frankly, a lot of people who are in executive positions and thought leaders put a lot of free stuff out there or spend a lot of time putting together courses or books or articles to share their knowledge with people. And they value when people respect that that's there for them to review and to read. So I would be much more willing to connect with somebody who says, Hey, Don, I bought your book and I, you know, was reading through it. It's been really helpful. I had some questions on chapter eight, you know, would you be open to a 15 minute phone call so I can ask, you know, those questions because it shows you respect my time. It shows you respect the knowledge that I put out there and you've invested in me. And so I think that's how you start and then you build it up, you know? So maybe after that, you repost some of my Forbes articles or you share my TEDx talk with Mm. your class. And Mm. so when you do these things, I'm not saying in rapid succession, like Monday you do one thing, Tuesday, but you know, over time, I think, One, you'll get noticed, but two, a lot of people aren't doing that. So you'll stand out from others who are asking for that person's time. And, you know, three, I think there's a real potential for a relationship to be built in that way because, you know, people recognize your name, they recognize you're investing in them and they respect that and they want to be mutually beneficial. 
Are there any other tips or strategies that you suggest for yourself and even other influencers or executives that are kind of hard to reach specifically on the method and the approach of actually getting some of their time, like 10, 15 minutes? I think first off, you have to assess who it is and what's going on in their life right now. So if you're trying to speak to the CFO and it's like year end and you know they're swamped or you're trying to connect with somebody who just took on a new role at a company, think about where their headspace is right now. They are just trying to keep their head above water. So I think you have to like really think about what's going on potentially in their world. And a lot of people don't stop to do that. They, you know, assume whatever's happening in their world is what's going on in the other person's world. So I think that's first. Secondly, the shorter your email and the more direct your email, the higher your chances of getting Mm. a response. Mm. So I've seen people reach out to me with, here's my resume, here are the, you know, 10 questions I have and um, you might want to watch this video I did. And, and, you know, you've already created a lot of work for me just to get back to you. So chances are, if I'm even going to get back to you, it's going to take a long time because now I have to set aside 15, 20 minutes to review what you've sent, which again, probably won't happen. So do not include all this stuff when you send it out. Yeah. A brief email targeted email. Also put something in the subject line that makes them pay attention to your email. So for example, if you have a referral, maybe you say, you know, friend of Don Graham, (laughs) because if I see that and I know that person, I'm going to be more likely to open it at least because I'm like, okay, you said, you know, somebody I know. So I think that's important. Otherwise it might get filtered in the spam. Otherwise it might you know, get overlooked as just a generic email. I get outreach from a lot of media people asking, can we have this person on your show? Or do you want to write an article about them? And, you know, sometimes I miss emails for the sheer fact that I just assume it's a generic email. So I would also say definitely try more than once because it's quite possible that your email did get filtered out or accidentally deleted or, Maybe the person had every intention of responding, but forgot. Now it's at the bottom of their inbox. So I'd say if you don't get a response in about two weeks, definitely try again. Be polite about it. You know, say I recognize you're incredibly busy. I just wanted to try one more time. And, you know, certainly don't try to sell them anything. I can't tell you how many people are doing this on LinkedIn now. Their first outreach is trying to get me to buy something or, and I'm like, okay, no. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's funny. Like whenever I see an email that's like super long and the subject line is, are you interested in this product or something? I'm just like, goodness gracious. Like I just, (laughs) please make it shorter at least so I can read it. (laughs) Yeah, think about it like this. Most people are opening mail on their phone. So if, if they have to scroll to read your whole message, it's too long. What's the best way to connect with somebody, make a connection in a short amount of time? So I think the very best way would be to get a referral because then you have a shared contact in common. If it's somebody who's trusted, you know, if it's a good friend of mine introduces me to somebody, then I consider them a potential good friend of mine. So that's first and foremost. If you can't get that, I think another way is to find a shared commonality. So just to give an example, if you've ever traveled overseas and you meet somebody from your hometown or your home state, 
it's like instant connection when you meet them, you know, on the tour bus, you're like, Oh, I'm from, I'm from New Jersey too. And then, you know, you start talking about the places, you know, and so if you could kind of recreate that feeling with the person that you've met, maybe you both, you know, went mm-hmm. to the same school or maybe you both at one point worked at the same company or you have a shared interest in a topic. But if you can find something like that, I think that commonality can create, you know, maybe you're both parents of young kids. I mean, there's so many things it could be. Um, if you can find that, that will help to build trust as well. What do you feel like the best way to make somebody remember you? I'm thinking about in the context of like a physical networking event. Yeah, I would say that in those situations, usually what I advise people to do because the keynote speaker or the panelists are getting so many people coming up to them and saying, wow, that was great. I loved your point. And I would say that it's best to introduce yourself and say, I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn because this gives you a second chance to connect with them and show them that you follow through on what you say you're going to do. So that adds a little bit to the trust factor. Because hiring managers make their final decisions on trust. Can I trust this person? What's the best way to build trust with a hiring manager? Even if you don't know them, how can you make them trust you? If you're asking me about the best way, the best way is always through a trusted referral. I mean, I've had situations when I've been hiring where I saw a resume and I overlooked it, but then somebody either who I knew or on my team said, hey, I think you should really take a look at this. And I did. And I went back and I interviewed the person because I'm like, okay, maybe I missed something here. This is why it's so important to build your network because even if you're applying online, If you can find somebody inside that organization who can forward your resume to the hiring manager, if the person knows the hiring manager, all the better. But even if they don't, just somebody who is a established person in that organization who says, this is somebody you should look at, will probably open the door for you. So I think that's huge. And in terms of building trust during the interview process, I think a lot of people need to recognize that The job search is not about you. Yes, you're speaking about you. Yes, you are the product. But the job search is about solving the hiring manager's core problems. Mm. And so a lot of people go in and they tend to spout out all kinds of achievements and accomplishments. And yeah, that's very impressive. But they miss the step of closing the loop on how that's going to help the hiring manager solve their problems. So so they kind of leave that messy work to the hiring manager to do later. But if you say, you know, I've achieved these things, I've done these things, and how that relates to the mission you have or the project that, that I would be working on here is I can help do X, Y, and Z. Now you're closing the loop for the hiring manager and they recognize, okay, wow, this person understands my biggest challenges, which is a huge one. And two, they are tying their skills into how they would actually go ahead and solve this problem. And so that's really reassuring for a hiring manager to have somebody, one, understand them, and then two, recognize that there's a way to solve their problem. That's very powerful advice. A friend of mine uh, was like, hey, I'm interviewing for this company. And I was like, 
oh, okay, do, what do they do? They're like, I don't know. I think that I'm just like, okay, that, that's, okay, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> How do you not know what you're interviewing for? So I just, that's very good advice. I um, think a question along those lines too that comes up a lot and people treat it as a softball question, but it's really not is why do you want to work here? Why do you want this job? Mm-hmm. Or why do you want to join the team? It's asked in a variety of ways, but it doesn't really matter how it's asked. But a lot of people say something really generic, like, I'm really passionate about the work you do, but they don't go into why, or they say, well, your company is so innovative. And these are very much throwaway answers because everybody says it, it's not unique. But if you go in and you say, well, I've spent the last six months studying X, Y, Z. And when I was looking at your company, I realized this would be really applicable because not only does it incorporate my strengths in these areas, but it's something I've really been working to move forward. So you're demonstrating demonstrating you're already committed to it. You already are interested in it. You've been looking at it like you're in the company already. And I think that's a really good way to approach an interview is imagine you're already working there. What types of questions would you ask? What types of things would you suggest? Because many people, again, like you said, go in and just like, here's my resume. I did this. I did that. I have this certification, but they don't really get into how does this solve someone's problem? Appreciate you sharing that. I have these last six questions, kind of reflective. So if you might, might need to take a second to think about them. But so the first one is, if you were to meet a 25-year-old Dr. Don Graham, what advice would you give to her? I'd probably tell her to network because I think at that point in time, that was not my my forte. I was an introvert and I thought back then that stellar performance was enough. So I think I would say you need to network beyond your internal colleagues, because at some point in the very near future, all of you are going to be laid off and all of you are going to be looking for a job. <laughs> wow. That's such a surprising answer. I would have never guessed that. What in your life do you feel like has given you the greatest sense of fulfillment? There's so many things. I mean, I have been very fortunate to have met so many great people, to have experienced the goodness in people. I travel a lot. And I think that has really given me a perspective about my own kind of childhood and my own experiences and my own privilege. And I think learning and meeting people from all around the world who've had vastly different experiences from me, some would say way better and some would say way worse, has really given me a perspective around the fact that it makes me thankful for what I have and grateful for what I have and humbled about my role in the world around being given these gifts that I can help other people. Obviously, you've still got a long ways to go in your career and your life but kind of foreseeing the future, if you could be remembered for one thing, what would you want that to be? Yeah, I would say that I helped people to find and land fulfilling careers and that through my advice and the things that I've put my heart and soul into, that I've given people maybe a catalyst to take the next step forward that changed their career trajectory or the confidence to try something out that they've always wanted to do, that would that would make me so happy. In your opinion, what's the most important life skill? Yeah, networking. But, you know, if you want to kind of boil it down, I mean, you have to take initiative, right? You have yeah. to know what's going to force you, whether it's networking or writing your book or whatever it is. I mean, that taking initiative, you've got to be willing to try. 
Yeah. And then the last one is, which is my personal favorite. If you were stranded on an island and you had access to one meal, what would that meal be for you? Pizza, of course. Oh, okay. New York, New York or Chicago? Oh my God. That's not even a question. How could you even ask me that? First off, Chicago pizza is called quiche. It is not pizza. So 100% New York pizza. Man, you got me excited there for a second because I like Chicago deep dish pizza. No, like when you uh, order Chicago pizza, you're like, they're like, we can get it to you in two hours because that's how long it's going to take us to bake this thing. Thank you so, so much for listening. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a few seconds, but it's worth so much to us. We are helping new professionals in a very unique way, and we need people to hear about it. We need you to help us reach more people by leaving us a rating and review. Have a happy holidays and happy new year.